you can check out my new series map making on the abnormal mapping YouTube channel. Uh, I'm going to cut this out. I almost said I don't thumbs to you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that would have been great. Where's your, where's your brain today? Welcome to Abnormal Mapping. This is episode 35. We can run for president. I'm your host, Matthew Marco. With me is co-host Jackson Tyler, who tries in vain to talk over me. Jackson, why don't you tell me how you're doing? Never mind. I'll just talk over you instead. No, actually, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. What do you want? What do you want from me? D's nuts. (laughs) Abnormal Mapping is going to run against D's nuts. (laughs) Topical jokes from Matthew Marco. Look, the podcast doesn't really aim for topicality, but every once in a while it's nice to throw in a reminder that we live in very stupid times. Deez also with nuts. us is third chair, Destiny Sturdivant. Hello. How is everybody doing? Destiny, how do you feel about these Nuts? I feel pretty confident about these Nuts. Okay. I can't. Uh, I can't. Are, would you be willing to vote for these Nuts? Or? No, because I would never vote Republican. These Nuts is independent. Oh, really? Um... <laughs> Well, I would never vote Republican. Okay. What is happening to this podcast? <laughs> We're just talking about voting trends. Aren't you keeping up? No, you you don't live in this country. What do you care? We have an act, like just as real insane things. Uh, eh, sorry. The things going on in this country are just as insane as D's nuts, but not a joke. So Well, so the only reason that these nuts is funny is because Donald Trump is actually running for president, and that's not funny because it's too scary. Yep. We, ha- we have a fake... Oh, I can't talk about British politics right now, but... It's too depressing. It's too depressing. I mean, American p- politics are depressing, but British pro- politics? Ugh. When does the guy in the fi- Guy Fox mask show up and start throwing size at people? I mean, let me tell you something about Jeremy Corbyn. Is that the guy's name in V? No. That's change we can believe in. Change oh, okay. <laughs> edition. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so how's there? We have not podcasted in seemingly a thousand years. Constituents. It's only been a month, right? It's been six weeks since you looked That's- at me. Okay, so we did. Oh, we did the last episode, which was the ADAF panel postmortem. Which was a short episode, so I kind of don't count it. But we haven't done a game club in six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we recorded her story very early, and we were on the ball. And everyone dispersed to go play video games. How did going and playing the video games go? Uh, Destiny, we'll go with you first, because <laughs> I know this answer. I'm not going to let you make me feel bad about it. I didn't finish the game, but I got... Far enough, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. No, 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 we're talking about other games you might have played in the intervening six weeks. Oh, okay. I played, oh gosh, Flipjack Studios' new time management restaurant game, Papa's Cheeseria. 
Um, what, what, okay, so I, I know what you would serve at a cheeseria, but how much variety can there be at a cheeseria? Also, why is that not a real place I can go to? Oh, you know what? Actually, I didn't play the cheese, grilled cheese one. I ended up playing the donut one. I played Donuteria. Sorry. Hmm. But the cheesecake, or excuse me, the cheese sandwiches one, I'll play that next time. But yeah, the donut one, you can put marshmallows on your donut, and I thought that was gag worthy. Um, no. I would, I would try that. Like, I, I probably wouldn't like it, but I'd try that. Like a chocolate donut filled with strawberry. Look, a, a chocolate donut's already making mistakes. <laughs> That's you true. know, I, I, I tend to agree. Like, I like a chocolate donut. I mean, I haven't had a donut since i've gone vegan really but a chocolate donut isn't it's a sometimes food but a glazed donut is forever so there's only two acceptable types of donuts there's the kind that got fruit on them like a bear claw or something and then there's bavarian cream donuts and everything else sucks and is not worth your time no you're right um i want to tell you more this whole thing is like a series of games where you just work under this guy named Papa who's a chef and you run these restaurants and So t- tell me about these. Tell me about these games. What's the deal with them? How did you like discover the Cheeseria series of awesome like, <laughs> Is Papa blood? related to Cooking Mama? Um I don't I've never played Cooking Mama so I can't speak to that. Cooking Mama management Papa. But <laughs> <laughs> Um like the the Flipjack company they made Papa's Pizzeria, I think first. Yeah, pizzeria was first. And what you do is you make pizzas and people wait in line while you're making them and you have to you get judged on how fast you make the pizza, how well cooked it is, how neat it looks, and whether or not you could put the right toppings. So essentially that format is carried on into burgers, <laughs> um, pancakes, uh, tacos, hot dogs, uh Grilled cheese and donuts and what have you. I think I named them all. I probably left out. Oh, oh, chicken wings. And and this is just a thing that I... I found them through congregate.com because I love restaurant time management sims in the vein of like a diner dash or a... Um, I don't know. What's another classic game like that? I don't know. I know I played the McDonald's game without realizing it was it was a joke when Tapper. I was younger. Tapper, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like that, but it's definitely more complex. Oh, sure, but Tapper is like the uh, progenitor of all these kinds of games. Let me make sure I'm getting the name of the company right. Flipline. Flipline. Did I call them Flipjack? Yes. I think you called them Whoops. Flipjack. Okay, I was thinking about Flapjacks, because that's one of the... You, you don't know flipjack <laughs> it's one of the the uh you know the, there's a pancakeria oh and then there's like a an ice cream one called freezeria where you make these crazy like frozen almost like blizzards it's really yeah. great but yeah um i really like these games you know you know the grossest thing you can put in blizzard is what snickers um yeah i love snickers when I wasn't as as someone who used to make them, the actual Snickers just come in like a tub, and it is like cement to chisel out the Snickers to put into people's food. Pretty gross. Yeah, I was gonna no. say Snickers that, is a gross candy. Um, I my preferred Blizzard flavor was always uh, cookie dough or something with chocolate covered nuts of some kind. These nuts, 
Mine was, was Hawaiian, and they've discontinued the Hawaiian, which is, I'm never going to Dairy Queen again. That's because nobody likes pineapple and things. Fuck off. It's amazing. I'm going to have to side with so. Destiny on this one. Oh. Pineapple in ice cream is so good. Tell me more about the pizzeria. Oh, well, I just was going to say that the cool thing about these games is that they introduce different characters that you get to know over the series of games. <laughs> yeah. And, like, they all have the same essential, like, outline, but they all have diverse features. And they introduced in right around, I want to say, Taco Ria, or excuse me, Taco Mia, where you could, like, customize your own little worker. And they had all these diverse hairstyles and skin tones. And eh, no, I, I thought it was pretty impressive. So, like, it's just a racially diverse, um, cool thing. I don't know. Richly diverse kitchen three. <laughs> I would actually play yeah, only if that's like an Otome game. Though. <laughs> I just want a hot, racially diverse cast of dishwashers to hit on. That sounds pretty great, actually. <laughs> I I would I would play racially diverse kitchen three. It, it couldn't be a like a joke though. I no, w- I wouldn't no, of play the um... outside of the title. Well, no, I mean, like, I wouldn't play the, uh, what's the, the pigeon one? Had to have a boyfriend version. It would have to be genuine. They couldn't be doing yeah. this as a joke. How to have a boyfriend isn't really a joke. It's calm. We'll talk about that someday. Yeah, one day we will. Jackson, yeah, hey, what did you do games. with the last six weeks? Ruined my life. <laughs> Why don't you tell people how you ruined your life? With Metal Gear. Well, I think we kind of covered that on other podcasts. I had, I had started this train. There is, yeah. But as uh, a famous video game character once said ain't no getting off this train we're on yeah but you're at the end of the line i'm not i am i am i'm hmm, hmm. you're standing on the edge <laughs> that i am doing uh so i've i've i played all the metal gear games one to four and i've written about most of them and i'm like right on the end of my writing about four and i don't know if i'm gonna do it i don't know if i'm gonna move on i think i'm just moving on and done i don't know we'll see but i've said that a million times before but I, I just want to be free of this nonsense project hell that I made for myself. But I, I, there's a lot of Metal Gear writing that you'll get to read from me. In what form it'll show up, I have no idea. But one day. Someday it'll be good and I'll be able to read it, right? right? Uh, you'll definitely be able to read it and it's pretty good. There's a lot of good stuff okay. in there. That's good. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm glad that you spent your six weeks well. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I also completely cleared out my room uh and with uh, one of the side effects of which meant that the tv my family had got has to live in my room for a while which means i can now play video games again Woohoo! so video games yeah i got a hd television and i'm like acting like it's the future of all life like i i, I walked into 2005 and was like look i got a television look how beautiful it is look at the colors uh, nothing wrong um, with that yeah, I know it's pretty great. I wanted. Let me tell you about HD TV. It's good. You should. You should get one. I've got one. Oh uh, well. Um, tell all your friends. All my friends have one. It's 2015, Jackson. <laughs> I got one for the first time, and I'm like, oh, this does look really good. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that's I can. The thing I'm most excited about is that I can now play PS2 games. Hooray! That that is exactly the wrong choice you should be making. But okay. But I, I had a monitor to play other things in. Mm, that's I, true. I couldn't. I had nowhere to plug in a PS2 before, but now that's, I do. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. 
And I, I've played other stuff, like, I don't know, Call of Duty. <laughs> uh, you wrote about that. That doesn't count. Yep. I played Journey. Journey's great. Yeah. You wrote about that. That doesn't count. I did that, too. Oh, everybody's gone to the Rapture. We both played that. Oh, yeah. So I played, like, 30 games in the past six weeks. You so... went ridiculously <laughs> off the charts with it. Well, you know, I got in the mood to play some video games, the doldrums of summer, is a time to relive your childhood, which means cramming all the video games into your brain. Don't say the Dungeons of Summer. Like, you, like, keep up with present releases. <laughs> uh, no, it's just, like, it's been hot for too long and I just feel sad. I'm not talking about video game doldrums. Oh, I, I only... I'm talking about the doldrums of the soul. <laughs> the actual, legit doldrums. No, whenever yeah. I hear that phrase, I assume someone's going, no video games come out in the summer. Oh, what are we playing? Oh no, the, like, my Steam library has expanded by like a dozen games, not my wish list, not my actual library. My library shrunk quite a bit because I'm trying to get games out of there, but. Mm-hmm. We played, yeah, we played Everyone's Gone to the Rapture. We shouldn't talk about that here. Okay. I mean, what can we say? That the, people should play it, everyone's wrong about it. <laughs> I could once again yell at a certain writer who wrote another inflammatory piece of garbage about video games that I like. But I'm not. I'm not going to cast aspersions on people I don't know. You already did. So. Yeah. Well, look. <laughs> we should. We should genuinely cut that. No. No. Let's move on to segment two. Okay. All right. <laughs> So for segment two, uh, we're announcing the start of an ongoing series that we've been talking about for how long, Jackson? Like a year, probably? Uh, three months. I think we've been planning to do something like this for a lot <laughs> longer than that. Way to like support, yeah, way to yes and Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been a year. I know for a fact it hasn't been a year. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I think that you're uh, under-exaggerating to make me look bad. That wasn't my intent. Uh, I genuinely think it hasn't been that long. Maybe I'm misremembering. I could be wrong just as equally as anyone else. Three months ago, you started your Metal Gear track. I hate life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, this is totally derailed me (laughs) introducing the thing we were going to do. So, we... I don't really write about games anymore. Uh, Even though I always say I'm going to. Um... For reasons that maybe, like, you can check out my new series, Map Making, on the Abnormal Mapping YouTube channel. So, back on track, what we were actually talking about. We, uh, I don't really write that much about games anymore, and Jackson, you have the propensity to turn every game into, like, a 10,000 word project. One game! I did this with, well, a series of games. (laughs) Yeah. You've written really long things that you found overly tiresome and how long they've blown up to be before. Don't pretend that this is isolated to Metal Gear. Uh, I haven't really done that since the actual Sunlight one. I remember you saying that your Final Fantasy XIII one got away from you also. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I did. Yep. 
Okay, good point. All right, this this has happened before and will happen forever. All right, maybe you're a yeah. Anyway, so what we uh, what uh, I one of us suggested I don't know how this happened actually was that we do a series of ongoing posts that we all write that go up as uh, I jokingly referred to it as basically stealing Roger Ebert's great movies uh, article series. And then we kicked around for about three months what we could cleverly title it and uh, eventually just settled on calling it Great Games instead because <laughs> originality is cute, but being concise is better. Yep. No, What? because how this came about was uh, we were ch- talking like, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do as we like make the pages on the site better? And one of the things that I wanted to do was have like a list or, or both of us wanted to do was like have a page that was like an abnormal mapping canon of sorts. We didn't want to call it that because that's dumb and prescriptive, but just here's things we think are valuable or cool or you should check out because we like to like pr- construct the site in a way that people who don't know games can totally approach uh, mm-hmm. and explain why the stuff we think is cool is cool and what's valuable about it. And this was one of the ideas we had for that. Uh, and yeah. We thought, in the end, why not just admit we're just doing this, than try to couch it in anything else? Yeah. Uh, one of the things I always liked about uh, Ebert's great movies writing is that it's meant to be worthwhile both as like an introduction, as a way to sell someone on a movie, or a piece that reflects on a movie that you know and might give you greater insight or something to think about or remind you of why you liked it. Uh, it is both an argument and an introduction, and talks about movies outside of the context of here's the hot new release or here's like the rare gem. It just kind of levels the playing field across all things. Yep. Uh, and games could really use that kind of discourse, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, the way we wanted to launch it, uh, it, they'll be up as the time of this recording is all three of us write a piece on a game um, and be be like the first class of them. And then we'll add them as we feel like it. Um, Jackson, what game did you pick to start off with? I picked Lydia Neon's Player 2, which is a twine game uh, featuring two players in which the other player is in your head and you like write about an incident in your life or something that you're insecure about or dealing with and it essentially walks through that trauma. Uh, I remember when I first played it, it was like, I didn't, I wouldn't expect this kind of thing to like affect me because I get really cynical with like uh, these impersonal ways of trying to help people but the thing that makes player two really uh interesting and excellent to me is that it's not impersonal despite being just text on a gray screen it's very much the construct of a human being's worldview and how that worldview interacts with your own trauma like uh I don't think of this game as a two-player game. It's a three-player game. It's something that someone that Lydia Neal has made in order to tell you that they believe you are valuable, whoever you are. And that feels earnest and genuine in a way that, uh, say, like, a app on a mental health website that you, like, tells you, hey, be positive, would really repel me. This, uh, pulls me in way better because it, like, understands and gives space to the individual who is interacting with it in such a much more intimate and understanding way. As a uh, listener of the Goof Zone, your uh, mental health podcast, Destiny, I want to point out that you're advocating for self-help just now. So good job. I know. You've made progress. No, I know. That's why I said it's like strange for me to be... (laughs) 
into this because I'm normally so in my own shell. But no, I really like. I re- I'm not beyond self help sometimes. Okay, uh, Destiny. What is the game that you chose? I chose the Binding of Isaac. The Binding of Isaac or the Binding of Isaac Rebirth? Oh well, yeah, the Binding of Isaac Rebirth. I suppose there it, it, probably a little bit of both. Since you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. I, um, enjoy them. (laughs) I feel like after everything Jackson said, I don't even know what to say. I like that they're about this really horrible thing, but they managed to, I don't know, turn it into, like, this slightly humorous, like, eh, twistedly humorous thing. And also, I just, all, the the scope of what you build on with just, like, this little baby running around a basement and what the people behind that game managed to do with that is really awe-inspiring. Well, you play that, like, a lot. I hear you playing that on Skype calls all the time. And, like, the fact that it's a... A, this really difficult and uh, like kind of repulsive thing made into this thing you engage with daily and just get better at and accept as a part of your life. Like, has that been kind of valuable? I guess so. Like, when I was That's... unemployed, I put like 200 hours into that game because, mm-hmm. like, the gameplay. I mean, it's pretty repetitive. You run around from room to room and then you die, and then you run around from room to room and you learn some stuff and then you die, and so you keep building on what you've learned and then you can lose it all really really fast and i uh it always felt rewarding even if you died yeah i know uh some people think like that game's like excessively cruel uh and i think that's a fair interpretation of it but i understand that there's like as old testament book game like it's gonna have some of that yeah, I think the actual, like, subject matter of the game is way harsher than the actual gameplay itself. So, like, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, seesaw. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've always liked about Isaac is that it is, so, roguelikes, especially, like, the modern wave of roguelikes has gone a long way to strip out the unfairness of the systems of, like, very traditional roguelikes, like, actual, like, NetHack or Rogue itself, um... But Binding of Isaac leans into the randomness and has much a high, much higher element where sometimes you just get fucked over by the system and there's nothing you can do if you're not good enough to overcome incredible odds. And it fits with that narrative of, oh, sometimes the hand of God is going to come down and squish you and it doesn't mean anything even though you try to attach cosmic import to it. Sometimes things are just shitty and the storyline, like the actual thematic material and the actual gameplay both line up with that kind of cynical, but, uh, you know, it is a worldview for sure. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Uh, and then I wrote about uh, Etrian Odyssey Untold, the Millennial Girl. Millennium Girl. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a millennial girl. We're living in a millennial world and I'm a millennial girl. Oh, that's the greatest mouth typo you've ever made. Mouth Whatever. typo? <laughs> is that what misspeak? we're calling them? Yeah, I know misspeak is the actual word, but I thought mouth typo. Malapropism, isn't that it? 
Malapropism? I think that would assume that, like, it's a saying. Like, a uh, malaprism is, like, you're, something that everyone would know that you... It's almost like a spoonerism. Okay, got it. These are ships from Star Trek, right? <laughs> the spoonerism? Um, which, uh, I, I think I might have talked about last podcast, honestly, about Etern Odyssey. I don't remember. You hadn't. You really hadn't, because it was before then. Okay. Um, but I wrote about specifically one quest, maybe like a quarter of the way through that game, and what it represented to me as a representation of, like, RPG systems, and how the systems reveal things about ourselves through how we view the experience of the characters going through a dungeon or quest or whatever a game throws at you. I like that game a lot. This will probably be the stand-in for basically all Etronazi games, uh, so I hope that it's good enough to stand with that. But Because I don't really see the need to write about other Etronazi games also. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I feel kind of self-conscious about it because I wrote it two weeks ago, so now I'm like, yeah, it's probably bad because I haven't looked at it since. <laughs> it's not bad. It's good. It's a good post. Hashtag good posts. But, uh, yeah, so that's a hilarious, uh, opening class because they're, they're very diverse. Um, the games that we have on the docket, and these will not come out in any set schedule. We're just going to write them as we feel compelled to do so, uh, are equally ridiculous and diverse. You're going to see some game club favorites on there. Uh, maybe games that we mention all the time, but wouldn't ever club. Guess which ones? <coughs> turn out, turn out. <laughs> <laughs> And uh maybe some picks that you had not thought of before. Maybe. Games that maybe no one would advocate for in 2015 other than me. Well, everyone knows what that game is, Matt. No, they don't. <laughs> okay. Oh, you mean Beyond Two Souls. Yes. I'm thinking of Minesweeper. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's just, a th- that's just a game that everyone loves and thinks is amazing, but doesn't think in the same category for some reason because it just was on PC start menus. Did you see that for the anniversary of Minesweeper, they made that yep. huge game mm-hmm. on hard mode? Yep. How many I mines? mean, hard, hard mode's the only way to play a Minesweeper. It's really impossible. I, I it is, love Minesweeper. It's not impossible, but very often the boards will generate in such a way where you have to guess where the final mine is, and that's always infuriating. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, very good at real Minesweeper. I played a lot of Minesweeper flags, which I loved a bit. What's the difference? Minesweeper Flags was a game on Windows Live Messenger, so it probably doesn't exist anymore. But it's just multiplayer Minesweeper, in which, mm. like, you just click. You get points for the squares you clear, I assume? Well, there's no right-clicking and left-clicking. You can just click. Uh, if you click on... No, you place flags, and you can click, but you have to... Once you place a flag... I can't remember the exact rules, but anyway, if you click on a mine, you lose a point. And mm. if you f- put a flag on a mine, you win. And there's the way the t- turns work. I don't know. I played a lot of it, but I can't remember now. But it was great. <laughs> you know what happens when you click on a mine? You lose, and you have to start over. Oh, I did not. Child Jackson did not like original Minesweeper, because he was bad at it. He was like, "Oh, there's a pinball table. <laughs> the wi- the version of Windows I grew up on did not have a pinball game in it. Back in my day. It was Hearts, Solitaire, and Minesweeper. Yep, and oh, I couldn't figure and, out either. Um, mm-hmm. The one with the king where you have to get him out of the... I didn't have this. I don't know what you're talking about. Free Cell. Free Cell. Yeah, Free I didn't cell. have Free Cell. I don't know what Free Free Cell sounds really familiar, but I don't know what this is. It was the just other a card, card game. game. Okay. 
Mahjong. It had Mahjong also. Not even real Mahjong. The Mahjong that all Americans play that think is real Mahjong. Oh, that off-brand Mahjong. Mahjong? Yeah, the one where you just match tiles. I thought it was Mahjong. Whatever. I don't actually know. It's Mahjong. I know that, I know that it's like a solitaire variant of Mahjong that has nothing to do with like the actual game that people play. Hmm. Lazy yeah. westernized Mahjong. So yeah, this is the new series. I hope people enjoy it. The first set of articles and the landing page. Well, maybe not the landing page, but the first set of articles will be up along with this podcast. Yes. And I hope people enjoy them. The landing page requires some introductory text, and I'm not going to be able to write it between now and Friday. So I might write it. I don't. Okay. Well, if you if you can write it, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I can do that. Okay. We'll have the landing page up too. Hooray! Hooray! It'll be across the top bar of the thing. Uh, me and Jackson have new bios up. Destiny is going to have a bio shortly, probably next it. week. I don't know how to talk about myself. Apparently, even though that's all I do forever. Man, that's your professional job, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, the website is getting fixed. People wanted good backend fixing, uh, Jackson in particular. Do we have the email address displayed on the website yet? Oh shit. No, we should back have Backend okay. fixing is my favorite British porno. Mm. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> it's better than, uh, Crump it up your strumpet. That's too gross. That is way too gross. That's too gross to even be funny, Matt. How about Fanny Packers? That's got to be a real movie, right? I thought Fanny Packs were more of a thing in America. Yeah, but like Fanny as a word. Yeah, but we don't use this term Fanny Pack because Fanny is a thing. I know. It's a cross production there. <laughs> a US British production, much, much like um some of our this favorite podcast. shows. Oh, and Rome. this podcast. And this podcast, yeah. BBC and This podcast, which is now over what's well, not over. Derailed. Is now half over as we go on to our actual game club. Game club. Hooray. Oh these nuts. <laughs> Hi there, this is Matt. Hope you're enjoying the episode. We get into the Paper Mario shortly, but I want to tell you, I did a small art zine of drawings, uh, paintings, comics, sketches about Paper Mario that you can find by following the links at abnormalmapping.com, or you can go to my Twitter, or you can just go to Itchio and Gumroad and search Paper Mario Sketch Journal. Uh, it'll be up there. It's uh, pay what you want or get it for free. Uh, it's 25 pages. I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for all your support. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. And uh, that's it. See ya.
so our game club this month is Paper Mario. Uh, Japanese name is Mario Story, which is a hilarious name to me for reasons I can't quite identify. Uh, it just sounds funny. Um, is it, in yeah? What? What is is that a common RPG name in Japan? Because the no, because it's not like Mario Densetsu, which would be like Legend of Mario. It's Mario Story. Like it is literally Mario Story. I that, I know that's the name of like um the Digimon World series of RPGs. Oh, okay. So I didn't know in Japan. I, so I didn't know if that was just a, like a thing understood to denotate this is an RPG series. I don't think so. I don't you know I'd never come across it before, but I didn't. I don't care about Digimon. So no, no, that's yeah, that's me. I don't, anyway, we don't uh, know. So Paper Mario is the unofficial sequel to uh, Super Mario RPG: Legend of the Seven Stars, which was a Square Enix Nintendo no, Square. not Square Enix, Square Soft Nintendo. Uh, you know, I don't know the word out. Collaboration. That's what I wanted for the Super Nintendo. This came out at the uh, butt end of the Nintendo 64. It came out in America in February of 2001 and Europe October 2001. Jackson, you were like an actual human being with thoughts by then. I was in Enfield going to see Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. You were like 10? I actually don't know what year you were born. <laughs> I, 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 I was 8. I was 8 oh, in October 2001. Great. Or I was, was 10. I or I was 7. School. Might have been 7. Seven, it's either seven, eight, or eight, nine. I don't know. I was probably reading Lord of the Rings at the time this game came out in in Europe. I mean, th- that would be the year. Yep. What was I reading? I was probably reading On the Road for the twentieth time or something crappy like that. You On the Road again. Were the most hipster high schooler in, that has ever lived. I love that <laughs> book. It's so bad. Like the Power Glove bad, or like actually bad? No, like actually bad. Okay. So Paper Mario uh, is the first of a long, now long-running series designed by Intelligent Systems. Uh, Nintendo took it in-house. Uh, they picked up one of the Square Enix designers of the original game, uh, but decided to make a game that was ostensibly supposed to be built around being someone's first RPG experience, uh, and uh, came out to great acclaim, though I don't think it sold particularly well because it came out in 2001 for the Nintendo 64. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all played this on Virtual Console, which you can pick it up for like $10 or something. It's no big deal. The Hot V cons. If you have a Wii U, <laughs> and you probably should because they're cool, you can play it in bed, which is the way that all of us played it, I feel I, like. I can't it imagine. the most comfortable way. Yeah. So, the plot of this is that uh, Bowser wants to kidnap Princess Peach, and Mario and her are hanging out, and he shows up, and Mario's like, well, let's fight about it, and now Bowser has this star wand, which might as well be okay. from Kirby. I just want to say it's, hila- it's hilarious that you're summarizing the plot of... So, the plot of this game is, without acknowledging... <laughs> no, 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 that's the point. I'm, getting, I'm coming around. Oh, okay. you know, yeah, good. Bit. Peach, uh, it was the star rod. And yeah, Bowser has the star rod, which is uh, also <laughs> yeah. my favorite porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite science fiction erotica. Uh, and steals away with Princess Peach's castle, which conveniently was built on top of Bowser's castle. I feel like someone should have noticed. Uh, and Mario is left trying to gather the star sprites from across the land. Star spirits. I keep wanting to say star sprites, but it's star spirits. Because you're thirsty. Because um, <laughs> the game is 2D, is why I say, I say star sprites. I think. And you're thirsty. 
for that I lemon have a beer lime. Right here. I'm not thirsty. I'm fine. Oh, Spr- I don't look. If you're thirsty, you shouldn't be drinking soda. Also, I don't like Sprite that Sprite much. Sprite is not good anymore. It's too sweet. I I don't like it. Anyway, I had the weird Mario's thing. gotta go and gather the star spirits, and that involves going through RPG battles, uh, much like Super Mario RPG and all subsequent Mario RPG games. The major mechanic of these games is that your battles require timing to execute moves and defend against enemy attacks. Uh, that's pretty much a good setup. Who wants to take over from me? Because I actually am thirsty. I'm going to take a drink. I think <laughs> it's funny that you said that about Sprite, but then you're drinking the only thing that actually dehydrates you, beer. Um, so, not to put you on blast, drink what you want, enjoy your life. Um, so, my favorite thing about this game is uh, you talked about the timing uh, with the executing the moves and... Even though this is an RPG that for some reason has this weird construct of everything is paper, um, <laughs> it still feels like an essentially Mario Mario game. Like there's little secrets to beating enemies. There's um, tunnels to go down. You're still jumping to get things. You're still kind of using your finesse to do certain actions and... Also, you're saving a princess. You can't get so, more Mario um, than that. A bit of context. Uh, we'll link to it, but the Iwata asks for uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star, which is a 3DS game. It has a little bit about the history of Mario RPGs. And originally, when Square wanted to design a Mario game, they came to them with a picture of Mario on a horse with a sword and a cape. What? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Miyamoto was like, how about we give him a hammer instead? <laughs> and he doesn't ride a horse. Uh, and so, like, Miyamoto is really adamant that Mario's, like, RPG attacks correspond with things that Mario has been known to do, which is wield hammers and jump on things. Thank you. Oh, uh, he saved it. Maybe, maybe throw a fire flower every once in a while. Oh, I'd uh, love to live in the terrible world in which the Mario RPG was like, here's a Mario literally in an RPG. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I can't believe that. But, uh, also they wanted to make sure, like, part of the, uh, the uh, discussion of building this up is that the mechanics came out of, like, Mario is an action game that's about, like, using your timing to get over jumps and jump on enemies. And how does that stuff translate into an RPG system, which normally is very passive? It's selecting options off of menus exclusively. Um, one last bit of background about the art style. Um, part of the reason for this art style was there was a lot of discussion of how do you redefine 3D Mario after Super Mario 64 was such a huge deal. Like, maybe the biggest deal of games, like, in like on that platform or in platforms of that generation. Uh, and they were like, well, what if we, one of them designers prototyped, like, what if we just abandoned the idea of like 3d Mario and went with flat shapes in a 3d world to give it like, to not make people expect that it's going to play like Mario 64, that it's something else and something different. Oh, okay. So that's why everything that's cool. is flat. Yep. And it like, I don't know if this is uh, actually like part of the inspiration, but Yoshi's story for 64 had already come out, which was a like very crayon drawing, like low key 2D Yoshi game. The game is gorgeous. That, uh, yeah, that also like Nintendo was experimenting with making their system, which was not built to do 2D games, have 2D sprites all up in them by the end of it, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoshi's story was probably the Nintendo 64 game I played the most. 
when I like in my heyday of having one. Just, so just throwing that out there. Chill game. That is yeah. the chillest of games. It's so good. Yeah, like you said, the the mechanics, like lining up and all of that. Oh, so magnifique. Also, um, the humor. This is one of the funniest games I've ever played, and I know that that's something that like keeps up in the later games. If I'm not mistaken, Matt would know. Yeah, uh, I haven't played. Uh, Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door, but Super Paper Mario is jokey, and then I'm actually more of a fan of the Mario and Luigi games, but they're also, uh, Intelligent Systems also works on them, and, like, this is, to me, the beginning of, like, the Treehouse era of Nintendo localization, where they just write really self-aware versions of, like, the Nintendo characters when given the chance. It's uh, really great. I can't get it, enough of it. To me, this is, like, Part of the postmodern Nintendo that does Nintendo Directs with like Muppet versions of their executives. Like it's all here, <laughs> that kind of Nintendo. And that, that's the thing that struck out to me most when I started playing this game was <clears throat> far more than like Super Mario 64 or maybe any Mario game before it that I've played, uh, or it is like a game about what Mario is. It yeah. is a consideration of, okay, like we have to have a story now, but what is what is the story of Mario? What is uh, the narrative and like themes of Mario when put into a gameplay format or uh, a narrative format that people have to understand and have like bits of world building and everything? And what it, can we extrapolate into what that means? And some of the extrapolation is just adding extra stuff in. Some of the extrapolation is uh, taking bits from other games and making them like literal uh, and just pointing out ridiculous things that just emerged through the way those games were created. Like playing this game, I got a sense of what the where the idea of a Mario law being more than just this made up wiki thing could even be. Yeah, the world is really expansive. Yeah. And you get a sense of how it functions, you get a sense of the like way all the groups relate to each other, you get a sense of like place everywhere you go, and I think it's just incredibly good at world building and also just deconstructing what Mario is. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's worth talking about the dynamic of the triptych of Mario, Peach, and Bowser, and how they're expressed through this game. Yep. Because Mario, and this was true in... Uh, Super Mario RPG also is like classic JRPG silent protagonist, but in a world where everyone else just delivers incredible reams of like text anytime <laughs> yep. you talk to them. And they all have their own unique voice and vocal tics. Yeah. Even though they're not, you know, you're just reading it, but you can, you but, can hear them in your head perfectly. But the way that that cast Mario is like, like the game is aware that he's not talking. And so everyone just kind of like waits for a reaction and Mario just kind of gesticulates his emotions and everyone kind of reads into it what they will. Like, Mario is hilariously comedic in how quiet he is. Oh, and it seems very intentional. It's super good. We'll- mean- meanwhile, Bowser gets becomes the Bowser that I love. Oh, I love him so much. Bumbling dad Bowser <laughs> in charge of minions who are equally as incompetent as him, but, like, more put out about it. Oh, no, I missed the quiz show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then a peach who, like, is clearly exasperated by constantly being shoved in this damsel role and just manages to kind of take matters into her own hands, even, like, though it's outside the framework of anything else going on. 
Like, mm-hmm. I love Peach just, I'm just going to go and take care of stuff while I'm being captive. Well, and nobody really bats an eye about it. What's great is, I don't know if this was, was this like the first game that wasn't in a, um, when, when, when else do you play Peach in this era of Nintendo? Like the Mario so, Party games? So Peach was playable in like, uh, uh, Super Mario Kart was the first time she was okay, playable. So... But Peach and Bowser are party members in Super Mario RPG. Wait, okay. no, Peach is, play- Peach is playable for the first time in Mario 2. Sure. Oh, okay, but right. I... Okay, good point. Yeah, because I was like, I know there's something earlier than that. Okay, but like, giving her this sort of, like, her own section of the game to just be, like, her own character and do the things she's good at and help Mario... Without, like, she's, she's, you know, the damsel, but she doesn't really, she's not a victim in the sense of, like, what's her name, Pauline in Donkey Kong, mm-hmm. where she's going, help, help, you know, that's her name, uh, right, Pauline? Yeah, but, yeah. like, also, because she is, like, a, a character with a voice, like, she talks as much as anybody else, uh, and she's very pragmatic about her situation. She actually comes off in the game as more of like the protagonist that like you identify with than Mario. Right. Cause like Mario's just a blank slate to bounce off of. She's not as, um, distant as Mario. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and- so I always looked forward to her sections. Cause at the end of each chapter, you just play as, or the, is it the beginning of each chapter? You it's play the beginning as Peach. of each chapter. Yeah. yeah. You just play as Peach being this captive dealing with these idiots. And, uh, spoilers, but. The way the game wraps up, what it does for like the Mario and Peach dynamic, it paints Mario as like just a vessel for other people's like hopes and says like, yeah, he's like a stereotypical hero figure, but that means he really only exists in relations to other people, uh, and what they need from them, which is also true of Peach in this game. Like, neither of those two characters in this game, the world they create, really exist without other people, and that's weird and cool. Like, Mario can't exist without uh, all the people believing in him and, like, giving him meaning because he's completely silent and nothing else. Whereas Peach's only power in battle is to, like, give help to other people and imbue them with power. I mean, I I wouldn't read too much into that, personally. I I didn't read... I think think your Mario take is spot on. And, like, it's kind of the way that Mario's been cast ever since. Uh, I think there's lots in this game of, like, Peach does a lot for herself and is really, um, like, uh, proactive. But in her role as princess, she's, like, there to fulfill this thing in other people. Like, she has to be there for people. Her entire role is helping out Mario and ensuring, like, things can go back to how they are. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think there is, like, Peach's lack of agency in a wider way than just being damseled is explored in this game a little bit in the well, like jokey. Yeah, stuff. like I always thought it was super important that every single chapter that starts with, or, or they all start with Peach, but like the first thing she does is escapes her room mm-hmm. and she's looking for a way out. Like she doesn't really, like she knows, oh, Mario will probably get here, but in the meantime, I'm gonna look on my own. She doesn't just wait. You know, and that's super important. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I imagine, like, it's, like, almost implied that she's been waiting in the previous game, or not waiting in the previous game, she's actually been, like, calculating and uh, establishing some sort of plan. Like, she's not just sitting there like, where's Mario? <laughs> 
Well, one of the things that I've always liked about the Mario lore, uh, such as it is, and this game has it in spades, is the idea that because this story is like this thing that keeps happening, the main characters kind of all have a rapport with both themselves and all the characters of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, Goombas and Koopa Troopas pay as much deference to Peach as they do Bowser, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, hey, she's around, she's the princess when Bowser's not, like, making, like, some land grab or, like, gesture of war. Uh, all, like, all the enemies, quote unquote, know Mario, and when he's not being outright hostile to them, most of them are kind of just chill about it. Yeah, like, the, this game implies, like, the existence of a Saturday morning cartoon or whatever, where just Mushroom Kingdom is a place where things happen. Uh, I like, I, I don't mean it implies that's a real thing, but like you get the sense of this is a world that exists without the conflict that is the focus of every single one of these games. Uh, mm. but also that the conflict is eternally repeating. And so every single person in this world understands it. Like when Mario talks to Bowser, this is not people who are doing this for the first time. Like Mario, Bowser and Peach all know each other and have done this before. And they never like say that in the game, but it is so clear from the way they write every line. I mean, like, from the beginning when, like, you fight Bowser at the very first battle in the opening, like, the whole, the game treats it, and I think Bowser explicitly says, like, oh, this again, well, this time it's going to go differently, and that's when he pulls out the star rod. Oh, right, yeah, because this, this time is a star rod, and this time, okay, yeah, it is the Saturday morning cartooning, and this time I've got this gimmick, this time Cobra Commander's gonna make a washing machine, I don't know, I don't watch <laughs> <G>. I Joe. <laughs> is that what that feels about? I never yeah, I think I so. watched it if it had that in it. I was gonna say let's not uh, dis- uh let's not forget one vital character that stood on the st- sidelines while this is all going on, journaling and living in fear. Our dear brother Luigi. So this is this is the game that establishes the Luigi that has existed ever since. <laughs> like this sort of my, eternal my game new ball. my new my new metal band is our dear brother Luigi. <laughs> in, in Super Mario RPG, he's not mentioned at all outside of when you go you go to Star Road and like you find stars that are people's wishes and you just find a, one that's like I wish I was as cool as my big brother and that's it. But like the Luigi that's kind of like passive aggressive and cowardly and kind of resents being sidelined as oh he's the green one is the, <laughs> like born in this. And yeah, love by, by the I time you get to Mario and Luigi, they're like oh it's Mario and a fucking like, other guy. Bowser doesn't know Luigi's name. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like you, a mustache. You. So oh sad. man, I, I love Ditto Luigi. Yeah, oh, I have a question. Mm-hmm. When did Luigi's Mansion come out? The first one was Game Mansion was a GameCube launch title, so I think it came out. The, this I think it came out at the same year. Because there's yeah, there was a mention in Luigi's Journal about ghosts and how he didn't want to he was afraid of ghosts like when you're Mm -hmm. dealing with the whole booze mansion situation if you go back and read like uh while that's going on he says like oh i'm so afraid of ghosts i hope they don't come here or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah um i laughed the gamecube came out in 2001 i'm pretty sure so that would have been this the same year i didn't have a gamecube so i have like no timeline for that that's really funny oh this game Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm So yeah, you go on an adventure, you collect a bunch of uh, party members. Um, Systems-wise, I suppose we should talk about it. Uh, so, Jackson, you and me kind of had very different opinions about yes. the system of this game. Yes. Um, 
basically, as I said earlier, the whole attack and defense is based on pressing buttons as those attacks are happening to bolster them or bolster your defense. But also you have party members that, uh, aid you. They all have like specific moves and things that they can do, uh, which seems very, uh, Final Fantasy X to me. But, uh, also the game is, you have three stats. The, you pick which one goes up every time you level up. It takes a hundred experience points to hit each level. All the numbers are really small. Like you start the game with 10 hit points. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that type of game because to me it feels very old school. Like it harkens back to Dragon Quest where, you know, when your characters do like over, when your characters do like 30 damage, it's a big deal. It's like, oh, that's a huge number. You would never do uh, 30 damage. Like when your characters do four damage. It's oh, I know. A big deal. I know. That like the, the highest, like my characters are doing consistently six by the end of the game. And I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The numbers are like the smallest they could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it creates a system where like the, the idea of progress in an RPG is really obvious, uh, to someone who like hasn't approached the genre before. And I think that's part of what I really like about this game. Like to me, it is like a really good beginner RPG and that it's not easy, but the system and the way you understand it is very approachable and doesn't require a lot of literacy to like parse. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, if you're doing two damage and suddenly you do three damage, that's a big deal. Yep. It is a it's huge like- deal. It was so exciting when I could finally do four for a jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and part of it is like, I played a lot of RPGs, so I found this game outside of the boss fights that I thought were ridiculously hard, especially in the back end, kind of easy. And Jackson, you thought this game started off really hard, so I'd like you to speak to that. Yeah, I thought the game started off hard specifically because whilst it is like, uh, clearly trying to be my first RPG, it also does that by locking you out of like mechanics and uh, like control over your own sense of like being so for the first like one or two or three chapters really you are only doing as much damage as the game will like let you do you don't you can't really do a different build if things are going wrong the only thing you can do is try to land more of the uh like you press press the button at the right time to get the jumps right like so it relies on these the moments of specific execution far more than the sense of control over your character or like builds or anything that i would consider like uh central to an rpg and even central to the design of this game in later stages because i think it becomes far easier in later stages when uh your characters progress they have unlocked certain abilities you have a bunch of badges and if you're like losing then you can go okay what badges have i got which ones are um causing this problems which ones are causing this problems how should i switch this up and like you have ways to change your approach whereas on like uh the boss in it might have been the second boss i can't remember second or third boss um in the desert, I think it was. Uh, uh yeah. Tutan Cooper. Tutan Cooper, yeah. I, of course. Um, <laughs> I, um, uh, like, I, I died, and I, like, there was nothing more I could do except do the same thing, but just try to be more efficient about making everything work, try to be better about, uh, using items, and try to just be better at the boss. Whereas later bosses, I would be able to switch up my approach more if things were going I wrong. wonder if, so I don't really agree with you because I know that you didn't like get, seek out star piece and stuff. And like by that point, I had the one that raised my attack and defense by one. Like I had a lot of badges because I was going out of my way to like track them all down. You like, had twenty five badges by the time you got to Toot and Cooper. Yeah. Well, I don't. I had a lot of badges too because I like 
they're so useful. And yeah, they make you a lot stronger. They give you a lot more abilities, or at least they strengthen your abilities. So they they were good to have. They they made the game. I, I won't admit that it like, or excuse me, I will admit that yeah, I struggled with it in the beginning too. But once you start building up sort of like badges and knowing what party members to level up, like it got way easier. And knowing when, well, what badges mm-hmm. to uh, equip at certain times. Plus, I think the world design uh, gets so much better in the later game. Um, at the start, it's like some in- some moments of interest with like uh, like little little bits of complexity. So the things it adds in like the first couple dungeons make it make made me feel like this should just be a straight line. The bits of spatial exploration aren't interesting enough. They just meet. Sometimes you go over here and there's busy work. Whereas by the time you got to the uh, second to last dungeon with the mirror floor, you're like, this is great. This is a legit huge puzzle. Uh, I understand this. There's like so much more going on. There's like stuff for me to engage with. It doesn't actually feel like just stretching out a dungeon which is what some of the early dungeons felt like and i know that's purely because like maybe that would be better if it was my first rpg and it was like walking me through that that design mm-hmm. lesson really slowly um but it definitely had a little bit of like final fantasy 13 is not in the winner on that sense but i i agree in the way that it i agree in the way that it scripts your early battles to be very specific mm-hmm. uh but I, I think by chapter two, it kind of breaks away from that and becomes something more complex. And yeah, by chapter seven, they're like, Hey, here's a Zelda puzzle. Like here, just here's like a multi-floor dungeon where you have to go in and out of backgrounds and manipulate mirrors and stuff I and use all of your party members. Yeah. It's really good. The best uh, dungeon in the game. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. So with the system stuff covered, I kind of just wanted to talk about the things we liked the most about Paper Mario. Um, I'm going to go first because mine's earlier than the one I know Jackson is dying to talk about. I've always thought that Shy Guys are like the cutest Mario anime. I think they're adorable. I like their blank faces and their mystery and how they just kind of waddle around and are adorable all the time. And so the chapter, I think it's chapter five, maybe it's chapter four. It's probably chapter four. Um, adventure of going into the toy box where you just fight an army of Shy Guys and you just raise the hierarchy until... You have an actual shy guy like army that you're fighting all at once is one of my favorite bits of escalation in a game. The way that it ties like a bunch of desperate battles together into the narrative of going up this platoon of shy guys, I think is really fascinating. Also, general guy is cute. Cute as hell. I, um, I'll talk about mine first because Jackson's is more how, towards the end. How, c- oh. how could you talk about shy guy without talking about the most important shy guy? Oh, you mean gourmet guy? I mean gourmet guy. Oh yes, gourmet guy. <laughs> he likes cake. <laughs> he loves it. Oh, the like triple zoom animation, and then just <laughs> oh, so good. It's the greatest thing. So yeah, good. it's pretty good. No, I was I was going to talk about bit? just going back to like the character voices and how everybody sounds unique. Like you get that. Uh, what's his name colorado koopa following you around with his ridiculous flustered british explorer man tone yeah nigel thornberry yes nigel thornberry that was perfect and then you've got your um southern weird fuzzy thing that lives in a whale (laughs) who writes you a letter and uh you know thanks you for helping him out of the whale then you've got the like there's just so many funny funny voices in that game and weird little sassy like there's uh there's these uh non-playable characters in the middle of toad town that's like a teenage couple in love 
And right when, uh, <laughs> right when everybody's sort of reacting to Peach getting kidnapped by Browser, they're like, all I care about is you. Does that make me wicked? And the boy says, oh, it's okay. For we are both wicked in love or something ridiculous like that. And they have like different things that they say that are updated throughout the game. And oh, it's, mm-hmm. it's so fun because like, I know it's an RPG convention to like change the non-playable character, uh, speech when like situations in the games change, but like everything was always hilarious in this. Just, mm-hmm. uh, to the T. And also, uh, my favorite. Um, area was probably the Boo Mansion because you get to turn into a tiny Mario and also the Boos are hilarious. The Boo Mansion was great because it was uh, a dungeon without any battles, so I loved it. Good point. It was just the cool environmental puzzle of uh, Paper Mario because I think Paper Mario does something which a lot of RPGs don't do in that it has this really acute awareness of its space. Yeah, yeah, it really it handles that all super well, and also it's like I, I want like yeah, a lot of that stuff like is in Luigi's Mansion, like that sort of wandering around this house and trying to connect things to other things to get a result, and I mm-hmm. don't know, it was just it was all just really well done. So Jackson, we're gonna leave the crown jewel of Mario <laughs> idiocy to you, I guess. So you. <laughs> Once you have got an all but one star spirit, you have to go down into the sewers, find a frozen sewer, and come up into the penguin town. I don't remember what it was Starborn called. Starborn Valley. Starborn Valley. Wait, I, no, I oh, no, wait, no, no, that's, no, no, no. Sorry, it's called... Shoot, I can't remember. Anyway, penguin town. <laughs> uh, and you you are like, okay, I've got to go say hello to the mayor first. I need to say hello to the mayor. Uh, where's the man? Let's go find the man. Shiver City. Shiver City. Something ridiculous. Uh, you go to Shiver City. Um, what, uh, anyway, where, um, you go to find the man and you walk in and talk to the man's wife. The man's wife is like, oh, hey, go right in. He's in the back. You go talk to him. Open the door. And the mayor is dead. He's just lying on the ground with eggs in his Dead. Excellent in his eyes. This mayor is dead, and you go up to him, and then Mario, sa- uh, your party member, says, "This mayor is dead." And then, <laughs> <laughs> like you check your pulse, and like, no, this is a dead mayor. And then his his wife comes in, immediately points at you, and goes, "Oh my god, you killed the mayor!" Uh, at which point, a detective comes in and lets you know that this is in fact a penguin murder mystery, and it's the greatest, <laughs> the greatest line of all time in the greatest moment of video games everything comes down to penguin murder mystery and it's it's fargo but mario and it's amazing it's the greatest thing i love it so much oh my god it's pretty great it's also great that they changed the music in the game to like this like heavy like a mystery is happening kind of serious music that music is called detective mario (laughs) the uh the mayor or the police uh chief is like all right we're going to get to the bottom of this. If it's not you, you need to figure out who did it because I'm too busy to do police work. I got to clean up this body. <laughs> Don't leave town. And so you can't leave oh. town because Mario's a law-abiding citizen. Yeah. Oh, 
And so you're left to explore the town looking for who it could possibly be. But everybody hates you because they think you killed their mayor. So nobody <laughs> will talk to you. Like in the shop, the shopkeep <laughs> won't sell to you because they're like, I don't sell to penguin killers. And then like there's a guy, if you walk up to him, there's just an ellipses. And then he goes, I said ellipses. <laughs> I don't talk <laughs> to penguin killers. <laughs> Like, oh, that, that's good. That is some fucking good meta RPG the one bullshit. One thing that everyone will tell you though is that they the, the only person who we're like worth talking to is this mysterious uh, crime novelist Herringway. Oh, lives, uh, lives in reclusive, like up in his tower or whatever, writing books. I checked. I don't think there are any adverbs in his speech, so <laughs> kept a lookout for that. Um. And when you go to him as like, oh, it's obviously him. He must have did it and framed me. He's like, no, we'll get right to the bottom of this. Let's go investigate. And you and Herringway decide to go murder mystery investigate, which means taking another look at the body to look for clues. Which is so grim. It's like one of the clues you find. Yeah, one of the clues you find is uh, that he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Immediately upon investigating the body, you find out that, oh, this mayor's not dead. <laughs> he was just passed out, sleeping. I don't actually remember what the justification of that is. I'm, I, I will write a novel called This Mayor's Not Dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think they explain it. Like, I don't remember him giving no, an they excuse. Do. He, he, was, he was going to get Herringway his gift, and he just falls over and has a nap. Oh, I oh, right. thought the present fell on his head. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I right. just, just I was too busy being disappointed that he wasn't actually dead and it wasn't well, a real penguin murder that, mystery. That's the thing, is that they introduced the concept of death into the Mushroom Kingdom in this just really brutal way. Like, this, this has been the most PG game of all time. Then it's like, this mayor is dead. This is a dead mayor. The dead Look, mayor has been murdered. You already went through Boo Mansion. Like, every, people die. Well, I mean, just like sure. the, like, it's, it's, it's always kind of a friendly kind of death, though. Like, even, yeah. ba- like, the bad guys aren't really that bad, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like all the ghosts went to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They saw the midnight but, channel, but yeah, but suddenly it's like you, the, this this penguin has been murdered. This is a murdered dead penguin. It, dead penguin got murdered, and cold. you have to deal with this. He's cold, <laughs> unmoving, like slab of a body. And I'm like, whoa! And then even, and then they roll it back, and everything still feels wrong because I'm like, the, everyone, the death is real in for these penguins. Oh, what, the <laughs> best part is how everybody tries to pretend they weren't accusing you of murder five minutes ago. They're all like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, my bad. Hey, Didn't mean to cause you a murder. You can uh, buy from a shop now. Sorry about that. A little embarrassed. <laughs> uh, a little embarrassed. Good. Be on your way. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave now. You go. Oh my god! And then like the wife's like, "No, I didn't accuse you. Just totally lying." <laughs> oh, the wife! Oh. <laughs> His wife's so good. She's ridiculous. She's like a Star Trek. It was villain. definitely you. You did it. There's no way it couldn't have been you. You're the worst human being alive. Why would you kill my husband? Yeah, like why do they oh, leave no, in this town? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was alive when I left him in there. Therefore, it must have been you. And Mary's like, oh. <laughs> really, just shakes his head a bunch. Yeah, look. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's the best, and uh, I was laughing so much. Hilarious. Pretty great. So, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of it. Oh, before we... uh Well, anyone got anything else to say? How about that? Bo rules. Gumbario uh, drools. <laughs> ah, Gumbario's fine. He just doesn't do a lot. And I, 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 I ditched him as soon as possible. I, yeah. 
I brought him in to get health scans. Oh, did anybody do the, um, I ended up getting a badge that did that, so I was like, done with. I just, I just didn't care. I just did the damage until the end. I like died. knowing. It's that's one RPG convention. I, I like knowing. Um, I was gonna ask, like, did anybody do the thing where if you go into the Koopa Village and go into that room where that guy's listening to the radio, if you change the song, they tell you to like bring an item to a specific place to get a prize. Did anybody do any of those? No, I didn't no, do any I didn't of that. Do that, I don't that, know what that oh, is. okay. There's a lot of weird little mini quests, yep. and it's really cool. You do favors for an um, old man. You deliver letters. I like that. You can you can hatch pigs. Yeah, you can hatch pigs. You can play weird like coin games that I never won in that weird tunnel, the, the playroom or whatever. Yeah, I I never won any of those either. You can be a dojo master and level up your dojo skills, which I only did once. All right, Jackson. Final thoughts? No, I, I thought the game was great. I had a good time. It, like, it was a kind of a slog in the first half uh, uh, before it opened up. When it opened up and became just a hilarious, cool time, it was the best romp. Yeah. Um, and then as my outro, I wanted to, I probably talked about the ad read, but I did an art, like, journal zine thing for this game. You did? Because uh, I played it really early and I was like, I'm, I want to draw some Mario characters. And what I turned that into is a 25-page uh sketchbook of my journey through the game which uh i'll put links on you can find at itch.io and gumroad uh it's free but you know if you kick a few dollars my way i could buy some more art supplies or something i don't know one of those (laughs) yeah uh but please enjoy that as like the biggest supplemental thing i've done for one of these it's really cool it's really i'm never doing it again that was a lot of work look forward to this with every game since no next No, No, no 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 Every game hence, I guess. No. Is the Might language. be something special for the 2016 games. But nothing to this extent. Nope. This again. this was a great cool thing. Also, I like I Mario was the perfect choice for like what to do this about as a thing mm-hmm. to draw. Yeah. No, cuz all the stuff is really cute. Uh all of the people of that world are really interesting and the scenarios are ridiculous. You did some really clever stuff with your art like the uh mario appearance is uh, is worth it just just for that there's only one mario in that entire That's thing pretty great. i guess i guess you could have expanded and sold a fake kazumakirio slash novel <laughs> someday someday when i play yakuza 4 and 5 yep yakuza 5 went out for pre-order yeah i know pre-order yakuza 5 now Fuck. get a free theme or yeah. something you also get like 15 percent off so why wouldn't you Shit, I got to pre-order that. Oh, it's only in America. Oh, if that doesn't come to Europe, I'm going to be... Oh, I can, I, can, I can use my American account. It's okay. That was the entire arc there in two seconds. <laughs> you really went through a roller coaster of emotions, you poor darling. <laughs> With that said, uh, let's roll into the music and then get into our questions. our questions today um if you want to send us a question we always put out a call on twitter but you could send actual long-form questions or stories or anything you want to send really to abnormal mapping podcast at gmail.com and we'll read them 
Um, or first question I- podcast what? at abnormalmapping.com. Oh, right. Podcast at abnormalmapping.com. That's very fancy, Jackson. I wasn't prepared. No, that, that it, it redirects to the other one, but it sounds like official and cool. Um, I have two things I have. <laughs> I have a question from, uh, Brogan Hackett, uh, at Bourbon Brick on Twitter. He asked, are you excited for the, uh, Ludlum Dare Jam games? Will you be playing any? Uh, and I wanted to talk about this in, like, Jackson, I know you can't really speak to this because you're still a sans computer. Oh, it's it's um, gonna end soon. Um, it's really weird for me because I like the idea of game jams, but I find I never follow them. Uh, and I feel kind of bad about it. Uh, not so much about the Ludlum Dare games, like, whatever. Uh, but the Game Boy Jam happened, and that's always my favorite because you see pictures and Game Boy aesthetic is the best. Uh, if I could just get puke green, four color video games all day, every day, I'd be a happy camper. Uh, and I'd love to play them, but I never do. And part of it's maybe like a part of a large discussion, but I'm like, I'm in the middle of Okami and Okami is like 25 hours long. And I don't like, I'm not going to take a night to sit down and play a bunch of small games in the middle of a big game. And it, that's probably like the wrong way to approach playing video games, right? I like taking uh, a little a small bit. games break when I'm playing a big game. Sort of like a refresh. Mm-hmm. I think the thing more for me is that I tend to not follow game jams because I don't like the chance of like I'm I don't find them this sounds bad like I don't have as much interest in like let's see what came out of this jam uh whereas like I'll go I'll go on itch and find interesting small games but I don't follow like the trends of what jams are happening and like what the here's a bunch of developers iterating on this idea and this idea uh mm-hmm. which is I think just because I'm not a developer or a game maker I guess developer is a bad term uh I don't make games in that way, so I'm not like connected into those conversations. Uh, a lot of game jams seem so much more about uh, people who make the thing, expressing ideas and sharing them. And uh, I would way rather just like if some of those games end up like becoming iterated on and coming out eventually. Like I'll totally play them then, or or I'll like happen to stumble upon the game jam version and play it on itch.io. That's happened before, but I don't like mm. seek out. Uh, game jam games because the game jam happened i'll just like happen upon them from other ways uh, the plus is that someone will always do the curation work and give you like here's the 10 best game jam games if you like of the game jam (laughs) that curious but uh it's worth it every once in a while to play all of the games of a game jam yeah uh dare in particular the theme this year was you are the monster and from my what i've heard on twitter there are some games that are actually pretty heinous so i probably wouldn't play those um I always think they're worth checking out if, like, you're interested in the theme. But no, they're not something I follow generally. But, like, I have played some cool ones from that specific jam in previous uh, iterations. Hmm. Alright. Jackson, you have actual email questions. I have actual email questions. uh, When this phone loads. Okay. Uh, First one comes in from a friend of the site... Uh, Dylan, Dylan Schneider, that's his name. Um, Dear Mappers, what do you think of the performativity of essay writing? I've come to realize I struggle a lot with the ritual of creating a piece of critical writing that flows and feels good to read. I feel it has any, I feel it rarely has any impact on strength of an argument, but it has a huge impact on the way people perceive it. Please discuss. Thank you. Thank you. Also, another question. Please talk about penis and security. Woo. Yay. I played a game about that. It was a, I think it was a twine game. And, like, everything was on, like, lined paper. And you had to look at yourself in the mirror. And that was one of the things you could 
uh, be insecure about in the game. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of it, so if I can find it was them. upon reflection. Oh, upon reflection! Yes, I played it because you wrote about it. Also, could you reread yeah. that question? Because you read it really fast, and I only caught like. What do you think of the performativity of essay writing? I've come to realize I struggle a lot with the ritual of creating a piece of critical writing that flows and feels good to read. I feel it really rarely has any impact on the strength of an argument, but it has a huge impact on the way people perceive it. Please discuss. Thank you. Thank you. Um. Okay. Do you want to no, go ahead? You go ahead. Um. So, part of the reason I don't, I'm really. Like, I'll admit, one of my faults is I'm super dismissive of people who write essays about the topic du jour in games. About Like, this is actually true of any field, but games in particular, because the topic du jour is always the same thing six weeks removed. Uh, but being part of a critical conversation only matters if the critical conversation is going anywhere. And in actuality, it's people spinning their tires in the same gestures of, like, if you have a critical stance, that's great. But I actually think that it is performative in that unless you're applying it to the actual act of criticism, like, it's cool to have these pie-in-the-sky ideas about critical theory, but I don't see that in the actual work as it applies to critiquing the games, and if you're not actually critiquing the games, then why are you what are you writing criticism about when you're writing games criticism, exactly? And all I think people really need to do is write smartly and earnestly about their subject and if they do that that'll carry the day even if like the writing is not full of all of the jargon that the conversation has created as like this is the appropriate jargon like it's amazing to me the words that have become like verboten in video games like oh ludonarrative distance you shouldn't say that no it's fine like the thing that it depicts as a real thing that people can talk about and is worth discussion like everyone hisses when you say like uh, ludocentrism or whatever the term is today that means the exact same thing. But as long as everyone knows what you mean, you define your terms, have, just have an earnest reaction to something. And that's enough. Uh, so for me, as someone who one, uh, writes more, but two, more importantly, um, gets far more anxious and about the way that writing is perceived, uh, I have a little bit more, like, I feel like I understand what Dylan means a bit more in that I don't think it's about like having to fit in with a critical conversation and more just about like considering outside stuff too much when doing a, like a bit of writing. Like it's like, okay, uh, is this good? Like, am I coming across right in this way? Should I be approaching it in this way? Like it does a bit of it factors into like what is the current topic of the juror and how should I be doing this? But that's not the only way of, uh, approaching something in a performative manner it just like there is a sense of falseness when you present yourself through writing and that will like always be the case like you're always kind of editing yourself and editing your personality in a way as you put it into words uh and i like i get that insecurity a lot when i uh write essays i think that it should be less about topic du jour and more about having an opinion and wanting to like support it and be interesting because that's the thing that's going to last because all those essays about ludonarrative dissonance like you're only going to remember a handful you're not going to remember every single one but everybody remembers like something that stood out to them personally that kind of went against the grain Mm -hmm. i I don't 
I don't actually think I don't know how do how do we get to that like yeah I don't even know um, if that's what Dylan was I, I talking don't, about I don't think Dylan was actually asking about well uh, the word performative uh, and that's why I thought maybe it was like thinking about your audience way too much but also it's like since we're not really connected to like capital G C games culture in that way like essay writing you should just um. Uh, don't overthink it like if you really have something that you want to say try your best to say it is that good answering (laughs) (laughs) i absolutely take performative to mean being part of that broader conversation the fact that everyone feels the need to write about like nostalgia like a couple weeks ago or formalism earlier this year uh what should i tell you the next question well, we're we're not done with Dylan yet. He had a part B. No, but the next question is entitled "Question on Nostalgia." Okay, great. But <laughs> uh, Destiny, I unless you actually have opinions on this, I assume you can't really speak to penis insecurity. Well, no, like I said, I played upon reflection. I thought that okay. it, uh, like you know, I'm a I'm a lady in a patriarchy, so I get general body insecurity. But that's a unique one, and it's it's nice to know that, like, you know, that's being explored in games. Um, Nobody's writing books about well, it, he, right? He he kind of just wanted our thoughts on it, yeah. about how it... Jackson, you want to go ahead? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no. That's something that's right. kind of, like, pushed into society, and I don't get it. Well, I guess it's sort of like boob size, isn't it? Like, it's measured on your desirability, but it, no one actually... Like, it, it, it's impressed upon you that that's something that people are going to measure you by, but, like, like, no pun intended, but really it doesn't <laughs> actually mean anything in the real world? It's it's really interesting to me because I was always... Like, I was introduced to the concept at the same time I was introduced to the idea that that's, like, this weird thing that guys feel that's ridiculous because no one actually right, yeah, cares. yeah, no one cares. And so I don't understand the two together, but... Also, like, I have body insecurities, but none of it have to do with that. And, like, that stems out of, like, other, like, other reasons. But, yeah, I, like, I don't, like, everyone talks about, like, dick measuring contests in, like, games a lot. Or, like, as a way of, like, performative masculinity. Like, because basically penis insecurity is about, you know, the guy with the biggest dick or, i.e., the most masculine is best. Oh, yeah. But... None of us really buy into that culture that much anymore, so I don't know if we're the people to ask. Well, I have a thing to say about that, in that, like, so I have a lot of insecurity in that sense, but it also, like, intersects with gender feelings that I have, uh, which I kind of wrote a little bit about in One Piece, um, but not that much. Uh, in the, like, you have this feeling, like, and you look at your body and you're like, this body is bad and is does not live up to the ideas is like like you know i feel fat and ugly and just all a bunch of things and like the penis insecurity comes into it and it's like i do not live up to the ideal of this thing that i am supposed to be but you also have at least uh, you also have i also have in my head like this feeling that i don't like belong in the body i have like i don't think it like matches up to my self-image in more than a way of like um like it's a gender thing like i don't actually feel like a guy and i don't know how to like explore that uh that much so i try to just not think about it 
But the conflict that creates is me thinking, okay, I'm not masculine enough. Like I look at, you know, down there and think that's not masculine enough to be masculine ideal, but I can't just change it and become a, like, an ideal of a different genre, a genre, a genre gender. of body. <laughs> different genre I of body. I of the body genre. <laughs> yeah, but I still feel tied to it and like I don't, like I would, like I have an internalized awful feelings of gender and that I don't feel like I would be legitimate in other genders with this stuff, even though I don't like hold that belief to anyone else. Like, I don't actually believe that, uh, like bodies affect gender in any way. And that's like a, com- a completely personal thing. Uh, but the toxic values of a culture that does do that are still deeply ingrained in my brain and make it difficult for me. Like, so it just, it just, it's just a whole disaster. And I feel awful about it all the so time. It's like, you don't buy into it logically but emotionally you kind of feel it anyway yeah because it's like okay i don't buy into it but there's no there's nothing else for me to buy into so i don't know what to do i feel trapped by it confused yeah and i don't know i feel really weird talking about gender stuff because for all intents and purposes i'm just a white dude so i don't actually have like i make it very clear to not uh like speak to being anything else because i have so much privilege and everything so i like i have the privilege and freedom to talk about this as an intellectual idea rather than like a awful violent reality of my life so i feel weird even discussing it uh but that's that's how that intersects with me in a bit of a long-winded not very good way but i hope that was interesting to a couple people uh, look forward to the eventual goof zone where we're probably going to actually talk about this. If you want, we can do, we can we can go. Set that up. I think I think it'd be interesting. I don't know. I I mean I'm down. I think we could have a very intense gender and sexuality discussion. It's uh, overdue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- anyway, we'll promote your appearance on the goof zone later. But first, next question. Qu- question on this nostalgia from Zaya Speed. Uh, are there any nostalgia based throwback video games that are interesting in their own right is there any media that engages with video game nostalgia in a productive way this was sent around the re- release of pixels and that topic to your discussion um so retro game challenge is the actual correct answer here um hell yeah in that it is so retro game challenge is a ds game that in japan it's game is, center cx right yeah it's it's yeah it's based on game center cx which is about a guy who uh basically is forced to play old video games until he beats them and he talks about how hard they are all the time but the actual game is you and your friend on summer vacation in like the 80s and every chapter is like he gets new nes games and new like egm issues like the localization is really good in that it's clearly like puns on writers of the era for those games or from those game magazines and you play through the games and you look at the magazines to get like hints and uh, tricks and the games are built to be like the progression from here's like an arcade game here and all the way up to like here's like the Mario one or here's like a very early like uh, Final Fantasy 1 RPG and it gives you this sense of what it was like to live through oh these are entirely new genres coming out but also discovering what it was like to play games of that era through the uh, interaction with you and like your friends growing up, but also through like magazines that you'd get. And sometimes you get them out of order or you'd get ones that they had like, Oh, here's this trick from this game that you put away like months ago. And so you go back to the game that you haven't played in like three chapters and you find something really new in it. And it's exciting. Um, 
But you could even extend that to, uh, I had the perfect game and it was something that I thought Jackson would have something to say about. And now I can't remember it because I went on Game Center CX too much. Oh, it actually, it isn't something you have anything to say about Jackson, but okay. we were talking about NES Remix, uh, the other day. Oh, right. As here is an, like almost like tutorials for NES games, but it actually ends up framing it as look at what these old games can teach you about game design if you pay attention to what their rule sets are and how your opinions about the games will change if we just like tweak one of the variables in the rules through the remix stages that the game is like sold on. And that stuff's really interesting too. Um, and those are like very clear nostalgia packages. But uh, we're recording this on the day that Mega Man Legacy Collection comes out, which is not really like a nostalgia game so much as like someone trying to actually do game preservation, which is a topic that we uh, all care about a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's very exciting. I would like to see more games try for actual nostalgia in like a constructive way like those games. Uh, I feel like so often you get like the Matt Hazards of the world, uh, which is not particularly interesting. Or even something like... Uh, Oh, now I can't think of that game. Uh, Bulletstorm? No, there was like that, uh, that, uh, like Steam game, like that downloadable game where you start Shit. out as like. Fuck, uh, Evo Land. Yeah, Evo Land. Oh, I'm so which bad. Is like a, like a neat idea, but the actual game is interminable and awful. So. What about I don't games know. that uh, kind of use that as their gimmick, but like aren't about that overall, like Shovel Knight or, um,. I wouldn't, the thing is, I don't actually think Shovel Knight is like a nostalgia really? game. It, it picks an aesthetic of an era, but like it doesn't have like fake sprite flicker or anything. They just made a game that looks like those games as like an artistic kinda, choice. I don't know. I always, I thought it felt like. And people always like criticize those games as like nostalgia games, but I think that's really unfair to what those games are trying to do. Like looking like an old game isn't necessarily a nostalgia grab. No. Like you can, like, is Minecraft, like, nostalgia because it's pixelated? Right, exactly. I don't really think so. That'd just be like like saying, God damn it, all these Tarantino movies and nostalgia movies. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And people make those arguments, but I don't think they're very, like, smart arguments. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, they kind of ignore how media works in general. Like, you're always gonna mm-hmm. kind of reference something, even if it's unintentional. But, like, I think we've played games this year that have engaged with nostalgia in a way far more complicated than just like the games you played when you were younger, but now. Good like, point. both Attack on the Friday Monsters, uh, Attack of the Friday Monsters and Yakuza 3 have, like, like a very deep ways about engaging with, like, this feeling of things that you've lost and, like, wanting... Or, like, to... actual nostalgia, yeah, like, actual yes. nostalgia is a real concept, because I feel like when people talk about nostalgia in video games, it's purely in terms of, like, uh, what that means for our relation to old products. But nostalgia as a feeling is a way more complex and human thing that can be explored in a variety of ways and is in many games. Uh, yeah, the... So I don't want to reduce nostalgia to just... But then you could also, like, another track you could take is games like Gone Home, Her Story, which are nostalgic in, like, their presentation and form, but not in actually, like, they're not about nostalgia in but any way. But they evoke it I through th- their setting. I think mm. Gone Home might 
is a little bit more about nostalgia than her story. Foul, I would say but, that is like Gone Home has a setting that is meant to evoke nostalgia, but the story it tells is like quintessentially modern st- and on purpose sto- that way. Yeah, the story it tells is, but I think there's way more in that game of just you looking through and going, "Oh shit, X Files tapes." Like it, get, it has that feeling of like, like the character is coming back to their own home. Like the nostalgia is, even though it's like a home they don't understand, it's a new home. Like it's exploring their family and this place that they left and these people that they used to know but have now moved away from. Like. Sure. Sure, but that's not that's not like that ends up being like the hook for the player. That's not actually any of the thematic thrust. I I think that is like a cool way that gone like like you say the hook for the player, but I don't think that discredits it as being one of the things that games works with. Maybe, but like I when I talk about either of those games, I wouldn't talk about them as games about nostalgia. But they do contain it and use it as part of its vocabulary for giving you a piece of fiction. Yeah, sure, but I don't think like any one thing is like about any one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think Gone Home is a like far more nostalgic, but also that's also me like reading, uh, just teen r- romance story. Like the idealistic teen romance that uh, Gone Home has is very nostalgic kind of romance to me. Uh, but I like. That's... I really don't. I don't think like I don't agree with that at yeah, all. Yeah, but like <laughs> on on paper, I guess it could be read that way. But to me, like the way that it's like a story that is very clearly not meant to end on a negative note and like the queerness of the narrative is meant to be kind of like a transgression against the kind of like heartsick teens have faded love story that like the actual thing that people are nostalgic for is oh, where like, yeah, they be kept apart or it doesn't work out or like something bad happens. Like that's what the actual story that it's evoking is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's not to me is like actively fighting against the kind of nostalgia or like, I don't mean, nostal- you could, I don't- if you replace nostalgia with like cultural, uh, inertia, like it makes sense, like why it's transgressive against that. Sort oh, of it's thing. totally transgressive. Thing, but I think it's like, uh, nostalgic in terms of like, uh, op- this optimistic sense of the world in the same way, something like Moonrise Kingdom is. Like that's a thing I compare. To I don't. I think. I don't think applying the same kind of like optimism in Moonrise Kingdom as like these kids at summer camp in this like hetero relationship versus Gone Home. I don't. I think that's really unfair I, as a read. Like that. It, that discounts a lot of like the importance of representation in a medium that. doesn't I think do what Jackson is trying to say is that like when you play Gone Home, if you've experienced that kind of romance as a teen, it kind of takes you back to that. Oh, that's what I'm saying. And I'm saying it's like, uh, like I know it totally, like the queer representation is totally important. I don't want to discount that Yeah, I don't think ever, Jackson but, meant, like, wasn't going no, down that I, road. I wasn't going down that like, road Because, like, Moonrise Kingdom saying, kind like, of also, like, if you had a young camp love, it, it might evoke nostalgia for that as you watch it. And maybe I am wrong in terms of, like, its target audience, but I don't think that game is intended for teens to play. Maybe, like, I know it kind of is because, like, Steve's talked about their love of, um, shit, what's that? Uh, My so-called life. Oh. Uh, Well, that too. uh, So, like, it does have that angle. But when it's, like, played by adults, it's totally about what it was like to be a teenager. It's like, I remember Trapper Keepers and mixtapes. Yeah, I remember Trapper Keepers, and I remember this, and I remember when... I would want to run away with someone because, like, I love them. But it's not, like, and a universal thing. But I guess no, no nostalgia is universal. Never mind. It's not a universal thing, but I do think that in the way that game presents itself to adults, it and I'm, I'm not saying this is a criticism of the game, I just think that it's a facet of it, and I think it uh, makes, like, 
I don't think it makes it less powerful. I don't think it like erases the queer narrative of it, but I do think it taps into a nostalgia in its like adult players. Okay. Was there a part B to that question or did we hit everything? Uh, the part B was just what pieces of media do you think engage with video game nostalgia in a productive way? Uh, it says, oh, okay. are there well, any, it. any nostalgia based slash throwback video games that are interesting in their own right? And I think you talked about that with like Shovel Knight. I thought they meant like yeah. media outside of video games, like Wreck It yeah. Ralph. Oh when- yeah. Wreck It Ralph. Wreck It Ralph is really good. Um, in terms of like nostalgia criticism, I mean, that's kind of, we talked about great games as like a thing we wanted to do with that. But if you look at something like Retronauts or Crontendo or Jeremy Parrish's uh, Game Boy World videos, I think that's kind of like a nostalgic look that is using nostalgia as a framework for actual understanding of what used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and like hopefully Mario Maker is that, like we're waiting, very excited for Mario Maker. The 11th uh, of that September. <laughs> um, never forget the day the mario maker happened wow. the day luigi died <laughs> okay so i guess that's it uh you know where to send us questions if you don't it's podcast abnormalmapping.com and they were singing um, bye bye that green mary jackson <laughs> shut up destiny what are we playing next month next month we are playing forward it's called forward frame see words sorry everybody i'm sleepy <laughs> it's let's redo that ask me again destiny what are you playing next month i'm not gonna edit this this is the worst part i'm oh, not gonna remember but you should when you listen to it because we're playing framed and and who's framed by? i don't know actually um because it's not out on android yet but it's sort of a comic panel story thingamajig where you sort of like rearrange like parts of the game to tell a particular story and I thought that it was yep. interesting it's in iOS I have to wait for it to come out before we can start playing it but so framed is by Love Shack it's by Love Shack uh, it's that. Yep. It- and uh, most noteworthy <laughs> was Koji- uh, Hideo Kojima's favorite game, action game of this year. It's not an action game. Year, oh, really? See, I didn't know game. any of that. I didn't know if you were leading me to that. I'm like, I didn't know that. Tin Roof. Rusted. So that's what we're playing. That's very exciting. Uh, and uh, where can everybody find you, Jackson? You go first. I am at Headfuls Off. On Twitter, headfillsoff.com is where you can find all the other stuff I do. I do Trashback Ratio with uh, these folk and Kyle Turner, and I do Goof Zone with Destiny Sturdivant. And next, the uh, next episode going up that we haven't recorded yet is going to be with Matt as well, and we're going to be talking yeah, talk about learning. You, you could have asked me first. I did, but it, that was like weeks ago, and it got delayed. Okay. You said yes to recording this, but like, yeah. In a different life. I didn't life. realize it was like, yeah, I didn't realize it was like actually real and coming. Okay. Destiny, where can people At find you? Bridge Buzz now on the Twitter. I'm also, uh, co-host of Badland Girls, badlandgirls.com, a junk culture conversation cast. We will be performing, uh, in Benson for first Friday. So if you're in Omaha, check us out. And, um, also, Oh, yeah, the podcasts that Jackson mentioned, Trashback Ratio and Goof Zone. 
Alright, well, while Destiny goes off to bed, I guess, you can find us at abnormalmapping.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes. You can check out our YouTube videos. Jackson's still going through Zelda. Uh, it's a great time. He's going through Star Lego Star Wars, which is a hilarious time. Uh, and I'm playing uh, Fallout New Vegas. Uh, you just go into YouTube, type in Abnormal Mapping, you'll get to those. Uh, please check out my uh, art zine thing. Uh, come back next time. We're going to play video games and talk about them. Look it's going to be great. great games pieces. Go check out the great games pieces. Uh, just tell your friends about the podcast. That's check all I want. Out. I'm just going to admonish it every time. Please, please, please check tell out Tell five friends to tell five friends. I did that joke last. Did you really? Like, the last real okay. episode, yes. Um, send out a carrier <laughs> pigeon. I don't know. That's not a joke. That's very serious. Mm-hmm. It's very Drove serious. the Cooper to the blooper, but the blooper was dry. <laughs> It doesn't even make okay, sense. Okay, everybody go home. We're Bye. done. <laughs> <laughs>